0: morning church. It's uh, good to be uh, with you again. It's always good to be uh, here at Cornerstone and uh, I'm really thankful for the opportunity to uh, bring the word today. I'm going to bring the word in a context of uh, an experience that I recently had that a lot of you uh, prayed for uh, for me. So um, recently I was in uh, El Salvador the last week in in January uh, engaging in uh, it was a prospective trip to see what it is that the Lord might have for our Netzer network to partner with an organization in El Salvador uh, to uh, serve and minister in a very, very difficult situation. So the last month has been, uh, I think because of the trip to El Salvador, um, the Lord has made me just starkly aware of the last month and... uh, A way that um, I think we've come to relate and understand together um, how we are as people and how we work as a culture and some things that are getting normalized need to not be normal and uh, I'm not sure that we're having the right conversations around this issue and uh, I'd like to suggest um, that we as a church consider both as a a local church cornerstone certainly but also as a broader body of Christ that uh, we consider asking the Lord are we asking the right questions, and are we having the right conversations? Because what I want to talk today, talk about today is violence. Um, and uh, like I said, El Salvador was a pretty um, uh, eye-opening place for me to uh, experience that. El Salvador's the most violent country in the world, um, and, and San Salvador is the most violent city in the world r- right now. Uh, it's far and away the murder capital of, of the globe at this point in time, um, a lot of that has to do with um, uh, some massive gang activity. So, if you've never heard of uh, two particular gangs, um, one is called MS-13, the other one is MS-18. Uh, MS-18 is pretty restricted to the country of El Salvador. However, they are growing globally. MS-13 is is proliferating much of Mexican and American culture, particularly large metropolises like L.A. or Dallas or Chicago, uh, New York, Philadelphia, even Reading. Uh, is is not rare to find them. We've seen MS13 activity here in our city here in Lebanon before and um uh, MS13 is uh, is the worst of the worst when it comes to gang activity. If you've ever studied gangs or any of gang violence or anything like that, um what what you learn quickly is that particularly for um homegrown gangs like American gangs um such as like the Bloods or the Crips or or really homegrown gangs like Gangs in Lebanon, like there's a gang here called Northside. Uh, they wear certain colors and they wear certain shoes and uh, they talk a certain way and they have certain hand signals and things. What you learn about gang culture is that what it provides is a community for people who are without community. Uh, and and even though it's based around oftentimes things that are that are very egregious and criminal, often uh, it still provides a place for particularly for young men to to belong and to feel like there's a family. MS-13 and MS-18 do not operate on those principles. Um, this is not a communally held construct. This is a fear-based construct. Uh, and what makes MS-13 and MS-18 hold continuity in their infrastructure of themselves as organizations um, has very little to do with the fact that we're that we're we're sort of like a uh, just a really bad group of people who are a family on some level or others and we wear the same things and say the same things and use the same hand gestures and commit the same crimes it's very much about intimidation it's very much about fear um and it's very much about cruelty uh and all of those things intimidation fear and cruelty are enacted through violence um on on a number of different levels and in a a number of different ways um So being in El Salvador, I'm going to talk a lot more about El Salvador as I continue, but being in El Salvador gave me an experience of being in an intensely violent atmosphere for a a systematic or a systemic period, uh, even for a week, of being in that environment and interacting with people who are are held in grips of fear, who are continually um, afraid for what the next, not just the next day, but the next hour might hold. Um, So then... Came back home, uh, actually, I got the chance to uh, go to Rome uh, with with Christy. We spent some time there. I was in Rome when the Eagles won the Super Bowl uh, Go birds uh, I, I watched it from one a m to five a m on my computer uh, <laughs> and had had no one to like yell at or anything like that. It was a real problem uh, <laughs> Um, and then when we won, I had no one to yell with, so I was texting a bunch of my friends at the time in, in all capped la- letters, but, you know, it, it only goes so far, uh, so it's, uh, uh, you know, what a what a wonderful thing. They truly will mount up with wings like eagles, right? Uh, what, a, what a wonderful world we live in. Um, that's what I came back, that's what I came back from Rome thinking, what a wonderful world we live in, like, I'm 40 years old. I've waited 40 years. My granddad's, well, 85. He's waited 85 years for this, and, and, and now it's there. And it's Honestly, like, I came back from Rome, and just all was well and all was good. At any point, I'm, I'm serious. Like, This is the power, I think, of communal sports events and these kinds of – like any time I felt down in the last few weeks, I just think the Eagles won the Super Bowl. <laughs> I don't think I've got to watch. I don't think I've got a wonderful family, or G- Jesus loves me, or I think the Eagles won the Super Bowl, and I feel great all of a sudden. <laughs> it's it's got to be twisted on some level or other, but I guess that's my confession for the day. Uh, the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Uh, over there was one point in time when that when that didn't work, uh, and and it was a, a few weeks ago um, on Valentine's Day. So I'm coming back from El Salvador and, and this this picture of of extreme violence and, and engaging that and I'm back home for about a week and uh, then the shooting in in Parkland happens which I think it's very very important for us to to not hold Park right now Parkland's getting a lot of noise um, and everybody's aware of that and there's all kinds of conversations happening from a lot of different directions um, and I think that that's uh, a a good thing. However, it's important that we don't hold Parkland in isolation, um, but that we actually allow for this to be a, a way of us to think about, you know, what, what does it mean for us to be experiencing as, as a country uh, violence in such regulari- patterns of regularity in our schools where our kids exist? And uh, I think it's, qu- it's easily and quickly forgotten Um, When we think, like, how could this happen? And our minds are so blown by the fact that one kid could murder a bunch of other kids. It's important to to remember, um, you folks realize the first sin after the garden was child-on-child murder. After Adam and Eve were expelled from from the uh, garden, the first sin that we see recorded in the scripture was one child killing another. So on, on some level, what it is that we're experiencing on, uh, on a national level, uh, be it Columbine or Sandy Hook or Parkland, or uh, I would encourage you. I, 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 I'm dead serious about this. So we, we have our students in here with us today for a reason, because I, I want to talk about violence and the way we think about it, um, held within our schools, held within our city, held within uh, our global community. Um, in in really uh tangible ways and I, I would encourage you to pull any one of these young people aside junior or senior hires um, and ask them about the training that they go through at school uh, and and what it means for them to be prepared for when this happens uh, i have two high schoolers and the next year i'll have three and so when this kind of stuff happens it hits really really close to home uh just from a purely personal dad level you know um but uh You know, I I actually wrote a blog post about this on Theocle. You can look it up if you want. But I just remember, I mean, every year my kids are engaged and your kids are engaged and our collective Cornerstone kids are engaged in training around what happens if, if a shooter comes into the building they're taught all kinds of things, like uh, code red, and that's what this means, or fight or flight. In other words, you, you can do whatever you need to do in the situation. If you and your buddies want to pick up some textbooks and try to attack that guy, go for it. Uh, if you need to run as fast as you can and get away, that's fine. Do what you need to do to survive in the situation. Look out for your classmates, stuff like that. Um, it's, I mean, put yourself back there. Could, uh, can you imagine processing that when you were a kid? Like, what, what will I do in that situation? You know, when I start hearing pop, pop, pops, and uh, I, I, my first thought is somebody brought fireworks, <laughs> and my second thought is, no, actually, no, we, there's someone who's trying to kill as many people as, as they can in this situation. Man, I, I don't know how to process that. Uh, teenagers have problems processing, like, how to have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, <laughs> let alone what to do when there's a, 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 someone intent on mass murder in, in the place. The, 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 uh, the capacity for that isn't there. In, in our students, I don't think it's there in us as adults. If you think back to the garden, again, to go back there, um, the, the way that uh, Adam and Eve knew good was because God was good and God made a good creation, right? Um, and that's all that they knew. In the tree, I'm sorry, in the garden was a tree. It was the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil. That's right. And God said, don't eat this tree at least not yet. We don't know if God would have had plans for them at some point to have experienced the knowledge of evil or not. What we do know is that before they chose to step outside of God's pattern um, and and, the way that, and God's plan for their lives, they had no capacity to actually interact with evil. They didn't have the knowledge of evil. All they had was the knowledge of good. When they circumvented God's plan and they chose to step around what it is that God said for them and they, uh, they acquired the knowledge of evil, they acquired something that they didn't have the capacity for. So when we try and understand and process things like Parkland, or when we try and understand things like the training that junior high and high school kids go through these days in order to uh, stay safe in their schools when, God forbid, something happens like what uh, too many people have experienced, when when violence comes toward them, and violence is one of those – have been trying to think if I should – Violence is at least one of the most tangible forms of evil as far as being felt, you know, like, like engaged. Violence and the word violate come from the same basic place. Uh, and so violence and, and violation both carry within themselves the concept of personhood and a, a violation of that personhood on some level or another, in this point to the extreme case of, I'm going to violate your personhood by taking away your personhood. I'm going to objectify you to the point that I can shoot you and kill you and, and do away with your personhood completely. God made humans in his own image, Genesis 1 and 2, and then the first sin that we see after the garden is two brothers, which should be pretty much the closest relationship in the world, actually turning on each other, violating the personhood, violating the image bearer on that other side as Cain toward Abel took his life. And that's, that's the first sin that we see post-fall. It's, it's literally, I think it's like the enemy pulled out his biggest gun immediately it, and, and chose this concept, like I am going to destroy the image of God in this world. Because when murder happens, that, that's what it is. An image bearer is gone now. An image bearer has died. An image bearer has, has lost the opportunity to carry that image in whatever way it is that God intended them to carry it. And so what's, what's deeply sad on this in, in many levels is that when young people die, it's 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 that like they're still figuring out how to be image bearers they're still they're still understanding what it means to be a person they're still in this whole thing and and we as adults have this responsibility to provide this protective environment for them to have that uh that experience but we can't control everything and so then violence somehow again that 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 same activity that the enemy brought at the beginning he's continuing to bring in a violent form that is coming against the personhood of others and violating who they are. And violence on all levels, not just murder, but think about domestic violence. Like think, think about when uh, a, a man hits a woman in a domestic dispute. You know, that, that strike, that, that engagement, that, th- that comes with so much more than just the physicality of it. There's the fear of it. There's the demeaning nature of it. There's the oppression of it. So then when a whole governmental system becomes controlled by a violent organization, becomes controlled by, uh, by by violence to its very core, it actually begins to warp the mindset and warp the thinking, not just of persons, but of the whole system. And, and I'd suggest to you that the conversations that are happening right now, um, the polarizing conversations that we're having as Americans, be it people who are for gun control or people who think, you know, guns didn't have any part to play in this there was something else that was bigger and fuller behind it was it the mental health system was it not the mental health system uh bottom line is is that when you track it back over the years and you look at all of the school shootings and the perpetrators within those school shootings what what you have pretty much across the board is an isolated angry young man who has been bullied shamed had his personhood come against in, in socially violent ways that on some level trigger a reaction in that person's mind that enable him to make the huge leap to, I now have the right to violate the personhood, the very life personhood of the people who on some level representatively did that to me. And, and I agree with you. Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, I, you're right. Like, to, to think that this might be a mental health thing, yeah, sure. Uh, th- there, there, there might be components of that. However, I only know one place. I shouldn't say that. There is one primary place that God designs for young men who are isolated and angry and living without love and socially cast out and embarrassed and shamed for who they are to receive healing. And it's the same place you and I receive our healing. The best place for the shooter in these situations is the church. <laughs> like, to, to have gotten to that point means that I think there was some failure of the messengers of the gospel toward that person to get there. And I don't mean that from a personal standpoint as much as I mean it from like a collective standpoint. So, so anytime that a school shooting happens, we tend to go a very political very quick or we go very social very quick what's socially broken down what's politically broken down and how can we fix these political and social things there's a better question and i'm really glad that our students are in here today um because i i would suggest that the best way to cut these things off is to love the kid who's socially isolated psalm 10 i'm gonna read read the whole thing why O lord do you stand far away why do you hide yourselves, in t- yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws them into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. The the psalmist here is speaking both from a place of personal experience and also from empathy. Um, and the grand theme of Psalm 10 is that is that theme of injustice. And the question is like, why does this stuff keep happening? Have we not all been hearing that question and asking that question for the the last few weeks, why does this stuff keep happening? Uh, I would suggest um, that that was a major theme for our time in uh, in El Salvador. So I just want to tell you a little bit about this place and about um, a society gripped in by violence. So um, this is uh, El Salvador is a small Central American country. It borders the Pacific Ocean, um, and it's basically composed of 300 volcanoes. Uh, just volcanoes everywhere uh, around, the, and and they still like erupt and stuff. We went to this like big, big field where there was miles of just black lava rock. It was amazing. I never seen anything like it. And this is the city of uh, San Salvador, right down right down in here. About seven million people exist live in the whole country of El Salvador. Uh, that's what it looks like at night. So that's you can see a little bit better the parameters of of the city. Um, and there's a big difference between this picture and this picture. Because at about 6 p.m., uh, the police just leave. It, it's either that or die. The, 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 that, that's, the, that, that's the police options in, in, in this situation. Uh, El Salvador's cut sort of in half right here. I'm sorry, San Salvador's cut sort of in half right here. So over here on the southern side of the city, that's th- that's the good part of, of town. Um, and by good part, I mean that if you live in a good a good neighborhood in the south side of the city uh, that means that you have a double gated community and you've got ten fully armed security guards um, walking around with fully automatic weapons vests helmets, whole nine yards um, and that that's the good part of town that that that's where you live in in a relative amount of safety. if you live over here in this part this is the the bad part of town and that's where uh, MS-13 and MS-18 uh, go about their proliferation of activities on all kinds of illegal and oppressive levels. So um, this is what a typical uh, El Salvadoran gang member would uh, would look like. Uh, MS-13 and MS-18 require their people to be marked, uh, and tattoos are, are the primary way of marking. In El Salvador, if you are out during the daytime and you have facial tattoos, you are arrested. It's illegal to have tattoos, in, in El, visible tattoos in El, in El Salvador. If you are, you're arrested. So people who are trying to get out of the gangs now go through all kinds of nasty like tattoo removal processes. Um, those who can't do laser try other ways, and you can imagine what that might be uh, for, for them. Um, so I'll, uh, the uh, uh, the gang members uh, operate according to intimidation and fear. This is a pretty intimidating picture. Uh, and it doesn't just um, limit itself to MS-13, but this is MS-18. You'll see the numbers on the face. You'll see the numbers on the arms and the hands oftentimes um, marking their territory. And uh, the gang violence every night uh, picks up. It's quite literally gang war each night on the south side of, of the city if you live in that part of town. You just go in and to your homes and you pray that something doesn't find you. Uh, But there is quite literally no one who lives in this country who has not been touched either themselves or one degree away in a relationship um, in some deeply violent way uh, from the gangs. Uh, Women are recruited into the gangs uh, just as well as as men, Um, and uh, they're required to mark themselves in the same way. This is a young lady uh, being ministered to by uh, the Abigail Association, by the group that we were working with, Um, and she's now left the gang uh, and is trying to live a semi-normal life. They have her in a safe house because she knows a lot. Um, The women in the gangs um, exist pretty, pretty primarily for the purpose of being used as sex objects, and pawns and payment for things. Um, in so doing, they're, they're given the things that they want, be it, be it drugs or material possessions or whatever. Uh, however, they do have to, I mean, can, can you imagine being a young lady? Imagine being this, imagine being this girl and, and having left the gang and now trying to live the rest of your life with this big 18 on your face and, and having a daughter to care for. Uh, Janice and, and her team met this young lady in prison uh, there are so many women being incarcerated in El Salvador through gang activity that uh, many of them are pregnant and they're actually allowed to have their babies while they're there. Their, their kids can stay with them until age six and then they're taken away, which means that women prisons, maximum security prisons uh, in El Salvador are filled with about as many kids who have never done anything wrong as there are uh, uh, um, you know, violators in, in those same systems. Uh, to say heartbreaking is like, that's just way too easy of a word. I don't know quite how to explain, like the pain that these kids grow up feeling and how isolated they are. And, and El, El Salvador has just started handing out just huge sentences. So um, a girl who commits a violent act um, can get put away for 20 years. And if she's pregnant, when she gets put away, that means that her, her son or her daughter is literally an orphan, uh, as, as soon as that, ha- imagine your six-year-old being wrenched out of your hands and you never seeing your mom again. Chances are she's going to get killed in prison anyway. But trying to recover and trying to live out a different existence for people who do want to leave the gangs is nearly impossible. Right now there's a huge deportation that's happening of El Salvadorans from, US, from the U.S. back to El Salvador. And... Uh, these men and women are coming back with deep knowledge, both of the operations here and of the operations there, and so they're a danger. They're coming back, and the people in it, San Salvador don't know what they know. So their their basic existence—they know when they hit the ground that they are targeted, and unless somebody like Janice and her team comes along to hide them or to find some place for them to uh, um, to exist until they can fly under the radar. Uh, it's a very, very dangerous world where they're being sought to be killed. It's, I mean, it, the, the the level of fear and intimidation in these processes is just huge. Last year, the gangs felt like they were losing some of their influence, and they wanted to make sure that they were, that the cities remembered who was in charge. Um, and so, in October, uh, they just sent out a mandate to uh, their gang members: "We want 400 murders this month, 400 public, 400 public murders this month." We don't care what or how, but not, not gang on gang, but gang toward just a normal person. Um, they, they they hit like 392 or something like that for October. So the gang leaders uh, then made the same mandate in October, at which point they killed 405 people. Um, so that's like 800 people uh, murdered for no good reason in two months in order to expand that feeling of fear and intimidation. Uh, We went to uh, the Hope Center, um, which is, I'll show you some pictures of it soon, but the Hope Center is where Janice does, uh, and her team does tutoring and education uh, for kids. In El Salvador, the resources are so, uh, um, they're they're so tight that there isn't the ability to uh, um, send your kids to school all day. So kids go to school for half a day, and then they switch, you know, you have morning and afternoon, but that's all kids all the way K through 12. Uh, which means you're not getting a full education. So Janice and her team, uh, they supplement that with tutoring and literacy programs and all kinds of cool stuff based around the gospel. And uh, we were at the Hope Center in the south side of town, the bad part of town. Um, and But they don't want any trouble from Americans. So you just you roll your windows down when you drive into these areas. They see you're a white person, and you're safe, uh, supposedly. And um, so you're at the Hope Center. We're at the Hope Center, and they wanted us to go and pray through Another building they were thinking about purchasing. This building was just simply down the block and then up the block a little bit. It would have been like walking uh, to uh, Harding uh, Elementary School from Cornerstone. It would have been that far away. Janice wouldn't let us walk there. We had to get in our cars and drive to Harding in order to just get out and and walk in. Um, And you drive through these areas and you see the curtains move. People are watching you. You know you're there. It's this crazy environment crazily controlled environment based around fear and intimidation uh, we met a pastor his name was pastor romeo uh pastor romeo is both a pastor of local congregation and he's an md he's a doctor his mom uh owns a small shop like she sells just like basic housewares in el salvador and one of the ways that uh ms13 and mms18 make money is through extorting businesses and so uh, Pastor Romeo, we were with him and we were talking with him and we were praying uh, with him. And he started to uh, break down crying while, while we were praying. And uh, so we just said, is there something that you want to share with us? And he said, uh, my, my father died six years ago. Um, my mother runs this business on her own. Know, she's like 60 something. Uh, my, mother, my mother runs this business on her own. And uh, the gang just showed up. Two guys with guns. Two guys with cell phones came, and they asked her for a m- massive amount of money that she can't pay. And uh, if, if you don't pay the money, you do pay the price. They'll, they'll beat you up. They'll burn your shop down. They'll, they'll do whatever. It, it's a horrible business model. <laughs> they, 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 they run businesses out of town. They, they lose their ability to extort. But all they care about is control. Uh, and so here this guy, his mom, who's a widow, lives in and has a business and now she's being asked to pay more than half of her monthly income in tribute to the gangs in order to be able to keep her business open they came back and she was only able to pay half so she gave them half and they said we want the rest and they haven't been back yet but he's sitting there every day wondering when they're going to come back and they'll be back and she doesn't have options like her whole family lives in that area there's nowhere else to go, and so she waits. I mean, imagine that feeling. <laughs> That's, that is that is just difficult, difficult. It's it's a very, very, very impressive environment. I've never quite experienced an environment as oppressive. So when I read Psalm 10 and I see what it is that David is praying here, I'm like, Lord, really? When I, when I come back home and see Parkland happens, and I say, it's like, Lord, really? I uh, listen to Jim give our um, uh, MSV, CCPA. Thank you, CCPA. I can't keep up with the Filipino acronyms. They love them. With uh, uh, CCPA update this morning. And, and I hear, I mean, you saw these young ladies up on the screen, right? These are like young 20-somethings. And you heard what Jim said. They thought they weren't going to be able to go back because of a war that was breaking out in their territory. Like, this is my daughter's 15. In five years, she'll be 20. I'm not cool with that. Hey, Dad, I think the Lord wants me to go to uh, the territory of Abu Sayyaf and um, uh, cook on charcoal every day, eat rice every day. That's it, just rice. And minister to people who are constantly in threat of their lives. God knows when uh, the barrio is going to break out in, in, in violence. What do you think about that? <laughs> no. You know, because on some level, I want you to be safe, right? But these girls are stepping toward the violence. They're, they're moving toward it. And people like Janice Watkins, this woman I'm, I want to tell you about, are, are moving toward it and, and her team, um, this is just one of the areas. This is this is center city. It's like if you go to Philly, this is where uh, um, like like the C- city hall would be that basic area right there. Um, this is what the gang did to it. <laughs> it's completely lifeless. Um, and it's one of those areas where you just don't go there after dark. But in contrast to that, this is the Hope Center. And uh, this is where 60 to 100 kids come every day. That's Tim. That's not one of the kids. Uh come every day after school uh, or before school to get extra uh, extra tutoring, Uh, rabbit trail. Did you know that this is how cashews are grown? That is a cashew sitting there talking to a pastor, and these things start dropping. It's like, what the heck is going on around here? Those are cashews. No kidding. They eat the fruit part. The fruit tastes like leather, like pick your shoe off and chew on it. That's what it tastes like. And that's what, but the thing at the top is what hangs on the branch, and that's a cashew. And in that form, it's toxic. You can't eat it. It's got to be processed. Fascinating. Who knew? All right, back to it. These are the kids at the Hope Center, at least one of the classes. This is the afternoon class. Janice has a waiting list of 250 students. For, for each section, for morning and afternoon, like she just doesn't have the staff to handle m- more than that or the room to handle more than that. So this other building we went to and looked at was, was much bigger. Uh, and, um, but these kids come every day and they live in, in these deeply oppressive, deeply violent areas. Many of these kids have seen people that they know murdered or beaten. They themselves have gotten beaten like the 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 amount of stories and violation of childhood and of the person of children uh, in in El Salvador is 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 just huge. Uh, that's Janice uh, Janice Watkins. So Janice was a very successful research scientist uh, for a pharmaceutical company in St Louis, Missouri. Actually, that was a cool connection Janice and I have. We, we both knew St Louis really well. Uh, so. She uh, she grew up in St. Louis. She was a very successful research scientist in St. Louis, um, but she was uh, uh, she got married young in life, and she got married to an abusive man, um, and so her marriage was marked by domestic abuse to the point where it got so bad she knew that like th- this couldn't continue. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be alive. So uh, she and this man divorced, and uh, soon after the divorce, th- the Lord came there. her. she's a, again very successful research scientist good good money, uh, good job. The Lord came to her and said, El Salvador is your new home. And immediately, she quit her job, invested her money, and moved to El Salvador. And she comes back for a few weeks a year in order to do some fundraising and to connect with some churches who work with her ministry. Other than that, she has lived in El Salvador nonstop for the last 10 years and has been serving and seeking to uh, to minister to the fatherless and the oppressed. People gripped in violence. Uh, a single woman uh, with a vision and a passion and just courage beyond courage. She is not afraid of anything. She will go anywhere in that city at any point in time. Uh, at 10 o'clock at night, she would go to those spots where I told you the police leave. She'll go there and do whatever it is that needs to be done. She's, she's never been threatened. She's never had an issue. At the Hope Center, that place you just saw, uh, so back where Tim was, when you saw Tim, there was a building off to the off to the right. Someone donated ten brand new Apple computers uh, um, and, and made a technology center so these kids can learn how to use the, the internet and learn how to use education online. Um, you know, that's a lot of money, and it's a r- really nice. And there's this immediate immediate uh, fear of it. so. the gangs are going to, they probably already know about this. What's going to happen? But they felt like the Lord wanted them to have a celebration to say thank you for this new technology center. So so they had this big celebration. It's a big party. And uh, at the end of the party, there was a knock on the gate. Bang, 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 bang. They opened it up, and the three regional leaders of that area for the gang were standing there. Guns, posse, whole nine yards. And uh, they said, hey. Uh, we heard about the computers. Um, we want you to know we appreciate what you do for the children in our neighborhood, and we're going to give you our protection. Nobody, nobody's going to touch. Nobody's going to touch these computers. Nobody's going to touch this place. The pastor who was standing there said, "We don't want your protection. We don't need it. We're protected by somebody way more powerful than you." That's awesome. That's so cool. Because on the one hand you're sort of like, oh, these guys are gonna like they they're not gonna steal it. That's God's grace. That's tribute. That's control. And that pastor was smart enough to know it, and to say we don't need it. And they haven't had an issue at all. The guys are sort of like, okay, <laughs> and and they walked off. The the the, uh, the anointing, the amount of covering that the Lord provides for for this is very similar to the anointing and the amount of covering that I feel like God. Uh, provides for our girls in the Philippines. Like they just operate under this umbrella of safety. And they have these amazing stories, just like Janice has these amazing stories of what it is that God is doing in these oppressive areas of of uh, not just violence on a, an active level, but violence on a passive level, uh, the violation of fear, the violation of terror, uh, the, the, the way that it holds you in, in a grip and keeps you immobile. Man, just amazing, amazing what God is doing. Uh, in his people as they confront the things that want to tear him down. This is a medical outreach. This is another way that uh, Janice and her team get out into the community. Um, Doctors, nurses, physician's assistants come down to El Salvador. They do medical outreaches. And if you want to get served, then you get the gospel. (laughs) So, So you go see the doctor, and then you go to the ministry tent. People pray for you, and they tell you about Jesus, and all kinds of people come to Christ. It's an amazing thing. I have no idea how they follow it up. That's one of the things we asked about this is uh this is a, one of the groups of pastors with with whom we met, so these are all men and women who serve in the city and they have local congregations within the city that they serve, and they have no money they 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 come they're probably within like a ninety minute radius to get there by public transportation um, however, uh this guy right here he came and he said. Uh, I used my last fifty cents to get here on the bus. I have a twelve-mile walk home, which I'm fine doing. But if anybody has fifty cents to help me get the bus, I'd love to do that. <laughs> so, so we didn't give it to him. His friends did. Like they, they Im- immediately stepped toward it. All we have was fifties, right? So it was like, give him the fifty. Well, we'll talk about that. Uh, these people, uh, Tim and I. It was just like they were drinking from fresh water because somebody cared about them. They didn't. I mean, yeah, we, we, we talked to them about the church. We talked to them about Netzer, about our own regional network of pastors and about their regional network of pastors. Um, Where is he? Oh, he's taking the picture. Pastor Almero leads this group uh, and he uh, he was like, we want to get together more often, but we don't have a way to get together more often. So somebody, a, a, a Nutzer donor, actually a couple Nutzer donors, had given Tim and I 800 bucks that we took down with us in cash uh, to to El Salvador to serve these pastors. With 800 dollars, we're going to be able to get these pastors to a central meeting location, a nice spot. We this room right here was like as big as Cornerstone's office. And there was like 40 of us, <laughs> just jam-packed. And I was sick as a dog that day. I don't know. I, something was going on in my stomach, and it was hot, and it was impressive. We're going to be able to rent them a really nice room. We're going to be able to provide them with a meal. We're going to get them there and back, and we're going to get them all new Bibles so that they have something to uh, good to read out of. And 800 bucks is going to make that happen for a year and a half, right? I, I mean, it's just like pow, uh, amazing stuff. Janice has 250, 500 kids waiting <laughs> that want to get into this uh, Hope Center. Um, medical outreaches are just, they, they, they're, they're going gangbusters. Um, Janice's point is this. You can focus on the fear if you want to, but that's not what I'm going to do. Like we, yeah, is there a risk for what we're doing? Is there a risk for where we are day in and day out? A- absolutely. She's like, these kids take way bigger risks than any of us ever took. And then I think about that statement. These kids take way bigger risks than any of us have ever taken in regard to sending my kids to school each day. I mean, we we didn't worry about that. Th- those kinds of things didn't cross our minds. As, as much as the nature of violence within our public school systems, our school systems, because it does happen in private schools as well. Um, As as much as the nature of violence over the last 30 years has drastically changed within our school systems, um, I mean, you remember, I don't know, maybe you had, but like when I was a kid, like, yeah, we got in fights at school sometimes. That's what you did. If you get in a fight now, you're suspended for like five days and don't let it happen twice. It's it's everything is on, everything's on high alert. Don't make a silly comment in school. You make a silly comment, you're in big trouble. Like you, you just don't, you just don't do that. You, our, our, so our kids are going to school with, n- not just physically, but they're watching themselves. They're afraid on a number of different levels of, of like this changing world that, that, that they live in. And they're facing risks that you and I didn't face. And growing up in a world that you and I didn't, di- didn't know. And then you throw in all of the passive violence that can be found on screens. I mean, did anybody else cry watching those videos of the while the shooting was happening of these kids and in, in these various areas? Like, it was just and 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 the way that then passive fear can find its way to you because it's so accessible. Man, it's just like it's more than the mind can handle. And if God doesn't intervene, like I don't, we, we don't have anything. If God doesn't intervene, but I think that, and hear this, hear me, hear me carefully, because I don't want to overstate this. I don't want to say something wrong. But but for God to intervene means the church has to intervene. It, it means that we have to intervene. If you're a student here, it means that you have to intervene. And I would strongly encourage you to intervene long before. Any socially isolated person Thinks about picking up a gun Intervene by seeing Who's being marginalized here Who's being left out Who is the angry Sullen person Where's that coming from And not just Should I be afraid of them But rather Jesus would love them How can I love them Which might just mean You sit with them at lunch It might just mean You ask them a question In homeroom We as parents, I think we get so busy protecting our kids that we live under the illusion that our kids are protected. Our kids are very much at risk, and not just from school shooters. Our kids are at risk from multiple and various myriad things. And we spend a lot of our lives parenting, trying to react to what it is the world's giving us. That's not Christian parenting. Christian parenting is not reactive. Christian parenting is active. Folks, our kids are already at risk. So let's teach them how to live riskily in Christ. (laughs) Let's teach them how to step toward the people when Jesus says, bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who use you wrongly. When we think about violence and violation, it does not get more stark than this. We live in relationship with a God who has not, doesn't just know about the violence, but has experienced it to the nth degree, who has known and been and had his personhood violated and had his life taken from him, even standing before people who confessionally said he hasn't done anything wrong. And yet we are still going to dehumanize him and take away his dignity and strip him and beat him and kill him publicly in a slow, torturous manner. And the, the violence that so much of the world is experiencing, active and passively, is violence that Jesus fully experienced in his crucifixion experience. Jesus himself was isolated socially. (laughs) Jesus himself was betrayed by the people who were closest to him. Jesus knows what it's like to be oppressed. Jesus knows what it's like to be left. Jesus knows what it's like to feel completely alone. Jesus is in all these places. The cross is the power of God in speaking to these things. And if we ourselves just simply live in middle-class America without considering what it means for us to be actively present in the midst of a violent society that oftentimes shows up, that that violence shows up in the most pointed ways through school shootings, or if we can live without the context of the fact that, I mean, we live about 90 minutes-ish from Harrisburg, Baltimore, and Philly. We live a few minutes from Lancaster City. We live a few minutes from Reading. We live in Lebanon. (laughs) Violence touching in deep, strong ways all of these places and violating the personhood of people, both actively and passively. If, If we can live without thinking about that in terms of the cross, I think that we're missing why it is that we're here. If we can think about and hear about uh, opportunities or situations like we see in El Salvador or like our girls are going through in the Philippines and the fear and the, the burden that they feel time and time again, um, I, I, I'm i not calling for all of us to sell our houses tomorrow and to move to these places and to do what Janice does. The the need is not the call. The call is the call. However, there is a way to be incarnationally present through the power of the cross and the intercession of the gospel, and ministry toward those who are oppressed in the immediate spheres where we are, that can actually change things, and that can shift things in spiritual places and in spiritual dimensions. It can open up opportunities for people that they didn't have before, if, even if it's just an opportunity to, have, to, to not be left out of a situation, to, to not be isolated, To engage someone in those ways and to offer the love of Christ and the power of the cross simply sometimes just means praying. Sometimes just simply means stepping toward. Sometimes just simply means giving. Sometimes just simply means getting together as a small group and saying like, how can we serve this need? If schools are the target, how can we protect our schools spiritually? if 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 uh if women are the target of domestic violence how can, how can we step toward that how how can we engage that what does God have for us not a guilt trip but an invitation into being the channel of his heart and mind that wants to see humans be fully human <laughs> to be fully who it is that we're made to be, be the, the glorious Honored creatures, the creation of God, that bear his image in life giving ways, and where violence wants to violate that and indignify that and bring inhumanity against that and injustice against that, what does it look like for us to believe how, with what the psalmist says, and then to be channels of that the Lord is king forever and ever, the nations perish from his land, O oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear casts out perfect love. And So the point, to the point that we are willing to love in a place where we should be afraid is to the point that we can bring transformation and the life of the glory of the power of the cross to bear against things that keep people locked into systems of injustice and violence and pain that they can't get out of and that they don't have control over. So what would God have for us? What would God have for you? What would God have for each of us as we think about it? Psalm 10, and we being the hands and the feet of Christ in this world, to be ministers of his justice, to be servants of the fatherless and the oppressed, to step toward that thing that we should be afraid of in love, and to say that God's love casts out fear, and to minister that love to people who are gripped by it, The opportunities for us are, are all around us. And as we walk in discernment, I think having the right conversations and the right ways, God will reveal to us the ways that we can be agents, people of light in dark, dark places to see the power of his cross come. We're going to take communion. Communion is the regular Weekly remembrance for us Of a very very violent death Of a wonderfully loving And innocent Jesus Who did nothing wrong And who took violence The violence that should be Enacted toward us And took that penalty upon himself And took the weight of our sin upon himself And the burden of all of that Upon himself and we come now, and every week we remember this, and we think on this. And most, most of us, we wanna, we're look, looking forward to the spot where like, maybe we'll get back to a normal. The Parkland thing will die down. I can sort of forget about this thing and move on with my life. But we, the people of God, every week, we come together and remember a violent death of an innocent man. Because as he was violated for us, as he took that guilt and shame upon us, that is our sin we're set free and we're empowered to come against injustice and to come against oppression and to stand with him in the power of his cross and to see the power of God at work and alive in setting people free so that by his oppression, we're set free. Here at Cornerstone, we sing while we take communion. So you're invited to, uh, we have Two communion stations. Is that what these? Am I right about that? Oh, okay. Bread's over there. Juice is over there. So you're going to start there, and then journey through over to uh, um, the the juice over here. Keep your bread to dip it into the juice. Uh, And we will have uh, folks available for prayer um, this morning as well during communion at each one of those stations. And uh, if you want to receive prayer during this time, uh, you are invited, uh, invited to do that. So just at the point that you want to leave your seat and move and take communion and, and remember the body and blood of Christ during our singing, uh, you are invited to participate in that with us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the power of the cross. Thank you for your justice and your reign, your kingship. We agree with David. That you hear and see the fatherless and the oppressed. And that your presence is with them and you love them. And that you're calling us to join you in that presence and in that love. So Lord, would you show us what it means to be agents of transformative justice in our world? Even for things that hit really close to home, like, like murders in our schools. Lord, would you teach us what it means? Would you show us how to parent? Would you show us how to live in a way? Would you show our students how to live in a way that's transformational? That is the cross in their world and in their school, stepping toward the isolated, stepping toward the oppressed. Lord, when we think about pieces and parts of our world that are gripped and held in violence and injustice, God, we, how long, O oh Lord, will this continue? Like how long until you declare a complete end of this? So, Father, we call on your justice. We call on your righteousness. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring your justice to bear against injustice and destroy it, God, and lead the captives into freedom, set the oppressed free. Hold the heart of the fatherless through your fathering love. We bless you, God, and thank you for the truth of the cross that we partake in now. At the night that you were betrayed, you said to your disciples, This this bread is my body. Take it in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Take this as often as you do in remembrance of me. When you eat this bread and drink this cup You proclaim the Lord's death Until he comes So we proclaim you now In Jesus name, amen